This is Quarantine Conversations. Brought to you by the Pacific Museum of Earth and our host... Hello, I'm Daniel Gowerbach. Is Daniel. In this podcast, we aim to show what it's like to be an Earth, ocean, or atmospheric scientist. There's a lot of diversity under that umbrella, and not all of our scientists wear lab coats. Today on the podcast, we're talking to... Brett Gilly. So, Brett, in this series, we aim to meet people at various stages in their scientific studies. Uh, Would you consider yourself to be a student, a teacher, a hobbyist, a researcher? I guess a teacher and a researcher together. Excellent. (laughs) Um, Now, what kind of science do you do? What kind of scientist are you? Uh, a weird one. Um, I, so in, in many ways, what I study sort of falls in between disciplines. Um, the main thing that I do these days uh, is geoscience education when I do research. So I'll do studies on, um, for example, making fieldwork more accessible, making the science of geology more accessible to people with disabilities. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I also do work on different teaching methods, for example, like two-stage exams. My background is as a sedimentologist. And so oh. I, as part of my master's, I studied the bedrock under the city of Vancouver. Oh, which amazing. Is a 40 million year old fluvial package, which is But I also, uh, a lot of the courses I teach are natural disasters and I tend to do a few little things like that as well. And honestly, my heart and soul is as a geomorphologist. Oh, wow. Don't tell anyone I'm secretly a geographer. <laughs> yeah, geographers and geologists don't really uh, uh, get along. They like to butt heads, right? <laughs> uh, it's weird. It's like the schism in the church. <laughs> <laughs> the people who are almost like you but are clearly wrong are more offensive than people who aren't like you at all. Uh, but yeah, no, I have, I have degrees in both our science and uh, geography. So it's. I guess I hate myself a little. <laughs> And how did you get into this, um, or these very peculiar branches of science? Uh, yeah, it's kind of funny. I mean, I, sometimes students will say, oh, how do I get to be you? And I sort of say, I have really no idea at all. Um, when I went back uh, to do my master's degree, I somewhere in there discovered that the thing I was most decided, excited about was teaching. And so I started pursuing teaching opportunities. I eventually... Uh, started teaching at a college and then I, I did a lot of work uh, with teaching workshops helping people improve their teaching mm-hmm. and at some point I was hired in our department as part of the Carl Wyman Science Education Initiative mm-hmm. and was specifically focusing on improving other people's classes but also doing research on geoscience education and so it kind of grew out organically out of just where I ended up that that position in the in the science initiative was an amazing seven years of professional development for me and really uh really helped jump start my career i would say it's it's one of the main reasons i eventually was able to become a, a professor of teaching here in our department wonderful <laughs> um now have you made any discoveries that you'd uh, care to share uh, Discoveries are, are interesting. I mean, I uh, I helped repopularize two-stage exams, which are a fairly common exam type now at uh, the University of British Columbia and around the world. That 
tends to be the thing that I'm invited around the world to talk about. But uh, we've also done quite a lot of good work uh, on accessibility and making geoscience more accessible. I work with an organization called the International Association for Geoscience Diversity <laughs> that I helped found. Um, and it, it, it just aims to make it easier for people with disabilities to do geoscience because we have a shortage of geoscientists and turning away excellent minds that have difficulties on field trips, for example, or in other situations, seems like a pretty stupid thing to do. Uh, so, so I've done a lot of work with that. That's the work I find most um, most rewarding. It's a, it, it's a wonderful thing to be able to do. I mentioned two-stage exams. Uh, what is that? So um, two-stage exams are a really cool, simple way to change an exam format. You, uh, you do an exam like normal, uh, but for about half the time, and then you ask all the students to hand in their exam paper. You get them into groups of four. You give them the exact same exam questions again, but only one piece of paper. And they have to sort of agree on the answers with all their colleagues. And so what ends up happening is they end up teaching each other uh, the parts that, that the other people didn't know and spending a lot of time really developing a good social understanding of earth science. And since humans are social animals, we tend to learn really well in social situations. And so these exams, we've shown that uh, at least over the short term, they really increase retention uh, by a large amount. And, and really what they're doing is taking advantage of the fact that students want to talk to each other about these questions. Studying really primes you to have a good conversation. And if you didn't have an exam like this, even in the hallway, students go out and say to each other, what did you get for question six? And then they have that discussion. So we're just formalizing it and making sure they do it for everything. Hmm. That's, yeah. That sounds a lot more organic than the traditional exam. Uh, it is. And I will never go back if I can help it. <laughs> It's just so much more rewarding to watch the students argue with each other about your content. It really is. It's nice. It's like, it's like watching them discuss the science in an animated and excited way. And they tend to walk out of the exam smiling, which is also kind of nice. Good. Yeah. Now you mentioned you also studied um, the history of Vancouver's geology. Uh, yeah. Vancouver is four, 40 million years old. So the, the bedrock under Vancouver is sandstone. Okay. Um, that's directly under Vancouver. Um, and that's a 40 million year old chunk. Um, there's sort of, there's a few different pieces. Uh, in, as you go into the mountains of North and West Vancouver, you have stuff that's older up to maybe 200 million years old. But yeah, the stuff that I studied for my master's degree is uh, a 40 million year old river package, basically. Wow. That crops out in a few locations like Kitts Beach, uh, Stanley Park, uh, Burnaby Mountain, and all the way up to uh, Sumas Mountain in Abbotsford, which is where I did most of my work. Interesting. Now, uh, what are you working on right now? Um, right now, I'm working on trying to figure out how to teach in COVID. <laughs> uh, you know, and it's funny because uh, we think as uh, online is a very specific thing. It actually brings up different uh, issues with disabilities. For example, someone who's visually impaired, Zoom is not actually a very good place to be because it's very hard to get screen readers to pick up on the chat or the, the, the arrangement of the windows. It can be quite difficult. Um, so that's some of the stuff I've been looking at there. But I'm looking forward to when we can go back to doing uh, accessible field trips. We were supposed to have one in... Uh, 
in Quebec in a couple of weeks, but of course that conference was moved online. And so the, our field trip was canceled. Um, so you, you got on the field quite a bit. Uh, it sounds like you're leading field trips uh, with students uh, out into the, the wilderness to learn about geology. Um, I keep hearing these crazy stories about things that happen out in the field. Uh, do you have any crazy stories you'd like to share? I mean, field work is all about crazy stories, right? You in the uncontrolled environment. So, I mean, uh, I mean, I have some some stories that are bizarre from when I did ge geophysics back in my youth about trying not to electrocute people when we're doing induced polarization surveys and various run-ins with wildlife. But honestly, my my favorite and peak field experience ever was doing the very first accessible field trip for the Geologic Survey of America uh, a few years back, where we just took a bunch of people who didn't know anybody, about half of which had some form of disability, some visible, some not, and we went out into the field and we built a community. Um, Friends of mine were doing um, interviews with the students and the participants, and I was leading the trip, so I wasn't involved in those interviews, but I was involved in analyzing them, and they're great. The, the quotes that came out of these interviews are incredible. We have all of these people who say, you know, the first time I've been in the field and I didn't feel like a burden. We had older geoscientists who were like, I haven't been able to do field work in 30 years. Thank you. I mean, some of the quotes still bring tears to my eyes. Um, it's pretty, it's pretty amazing. So those, so those sorts of things are fun. But yeah, I know field work is bizarre. I, I remember in my very first week of my master's, I was walking with my field assistant uh, along the bottom of a cliff in uh, on Sumas Mountain and I sort of looked out of the corner of my eye and I saw what kind of looked like an ostrich um, but colored like a Jersey cow black and white and I sort of went what I turned and looked and it was a cow dead up against the tree with four legs in the air, which is what I thought the ostrich neck was. And then I looked around in the forest and there were four other dead cows that kind of looked like they were gently resting against trees. And my assistant and I sort of looked around, you know, you're in the middle of the forest, it's completely quiet. It's a forest and there's a bunch of dead cows. It's like, what is happening here? So we sort of looked around, thought bear, disease, you know, like what's happening? And we, we slowly backed away and we didn't figure it out until a couple weeks later, there's a rancher that used to have his cows grazing on the mountain mm -hmm. and they were up above on the cliff and something spooked them, a bear or a cyclist or something. And three or four of the cows stampeded off the cliff. And we just happened to be down at the bottom where they had landed and rolled up against trees. It was a little bizarre. That, yeah, that is Bizarre. Yeah. Um, and it's not what you expect, right? <laughs> it's, not, it's not the thing you're like, oh, da, 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 what the? Yeah, that was a, there was a lot of weird things because it was field work that was within the city limits. So at, you know, two o'clock, we could go get a Tim Hortons uh, iced cappuccino if we wanted to. And and uh, the most dead, dangerous thing that happened to us, I had, a, I had a friend in my master's degree who's who was stalked by a polar bear that summer and that was the most dangerous thing that happened to him in his whole life i was almost killed by a 16 year old who had just gotten her license had packed the car with four of her friends and came around the corner at 80 kilometers an hour in my lane <laughs> and then missed the car by inches and wiped out right? so field works really weird we call it um uh 
sometimes we talk about three types of fun. Uh, type one fun is fun. It's fun when it happens and it's fun later. Type two fun is not fun when it happens. But later on, when you think back of it, it makes a good story and it was fun in the end. Like, ha ha ha, wasn't that funny? We almost got eaten by a bear. Ha ha ha, that's type two fun. Uh, type three fun is no fun at all. So there's a lot of type one and type two and a little bit of type three fun in field work. And I guess that's what makes the good stories. Yeah, I've heard quite a few animal stories, uh, but nothing about uh, falling cattle. <laughs> yeah, no, yeah. falling cattle is it's the first one. Apparently cows and gravity don't mix. I, I didn't need to go out into the field to, to learn that. <laughs> uh, you mentioned that there's a shortage of geologists in the world. Yeah, so if you look at what the, um, I mean, this is, a, this is a message that comes through a lot, but if you look at the, um, some of the American larger institutions, they look at the workforce in geoscience mm -hmm. and um, when they start to make predictions based on what the future needs are going to be and what future retirements are going to be like, uh, they generally say that we're going to have a shortage in the next 15 to 20 years, there'll be a large shortage of geoscientists, mm. which That's is, good. it's good for the people who have geoscience degrees. <laughs> <laughs> That's good to know for, yeah, the young people. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's funny because, I mean, I, I work with students who have a choice between computer science or geoscience, mm -hmm. and they all know that if they take a computer science course, they'll be millionaires by the end of the summer. <laughs> uh, but we actually have an activity where we, uh, uh, we ask them to go and look up the starting salary of a geoscientist in Canada. And I get a lot of interesting exclamations in lecture. They have no idea that you basically can do just as well in geoscience as you could in computer science. But in one of them, you get to hang out outside. Yeah. Geoscientists are a fun bunch. Allegedly. <laughs> it's probably all of the weird type two fun we have in the field. <laughs> now, what's your favorite part of your work? Uh, it's tough to say. I, I love my job. Um, th there's just a lot of great benefits from being able to teach all the time. And, and one of the nicest things is being able to re-experience the discipline you love as new people learn it and they get to see, oh, wow, there's this amazing thing that I didn't realize. I'm like, yeah, it's cool. It's almost like you get to, to learn it again yourself. So I, I mean, I really enjoy interacting with the students and I, I just really love teaching. I, I can absolutely empathize. I like it when um, the school kids come to the museum and, yeah. uh, and they, yeah, have that aha moment. Oh my gosh, geology is beautiful. <laughs> It's not just ugly rocks. <laughs> no, who knew? Who knew? It's not a rock collection. And I sometimes say that to students, that as a sedimentologist, there's nothing that excites me more than playing in a sandbox. <laughs> now, you focus on uh, diversity or promoting diversity within uh, geosciences. Um, have you yourself experienced anything that's caused you to, to unfairly struggle? Or have you noticed uh, something where people consistently struggle unfairly? Um, I mean, I see lots of places where people struggle unfairly. And in fact, there's a lot of the things that we do and I do myself in school that are detrimental to learning and specifically to certain groups of students. But um, I mean, I, I, I mean, I joke facetiously about this a little sometimes when I'm at geoscience conferences, you know, I'm, I'm a straight white male geologist with a beard. 
Um, you know, it's, it's not like I'm breaking down barriers all day. Um, but I mean, the one thing that has stood in the way of my career a little bit, or at least postponed my career a bit, I guess, is that I, I don't have a PhD, which is unusual for faculty or tenured track faculty at uh, universities. Um, there's a few people like that at UBC. Um, but again, since I'm here mostly about teaching, uh, it's, it's more about how I've done with teaching. And you might argue that my time spent with the Carl Wyman Initiative was a, a bit like a PhD, just missing sort of the thesis and the defense. <laughs> but there's a lot of learning and a lot of reading papers. But yeah, no, I, I, I feel like I've been very lucky and I, I don't feel like I've been held back in ways other than that. And that's not that much of a disability or something, you know, it's like, oh, I don't have a PhD. It's the ultimate of first world problems. <laughs> Students call me doctor sometimes and I have to correct them and say, no, no, you call me master. <laughs> I think master is uh, more impressive. <laughs> they tend to go with Brett. I give them the option. <laughs> Now, um, we're all still in the middle of this uh, pandemic. Uh, how has COVID impacted your work? Well, my commute is a lot better. <laughs> it's taken 10, week, 10 hours out of my week that I used to sit in the car, which that's a big amount of time. I can, I can screw around for five more hours a week and still be ahead. Um, <laughs> But no, I, there's obviously a lot of things. It's much more difficult to teach online. And uh, I work a lot with international students and they can't leave their cameras on. So even if they wanted to, they they don't have the bandwidth. And, um, and so I end up, you know, I have a class of a hundred and I end up talking to this empty room of black squares and you, you can't tell if they're laughing at your jokes or if you're still even on or whatever. But I do have a third year class that the course is going very well. I'm teaching with uh, Scott McDougall, who's an excellent teacher. Um, and he and I, uh, we've really lucked out. We have a, a, a class that has a really good rapport and community. Uh, they knew each other from last year. I taught some of them last year. And it's early enough in the day that no one is tired of Zoom yet. So mm -hmm. <laughs> it's been really nice. Um, but yeah, no, it certainly makes it difficult. I would do a lot of work at conferences that I'm not going to be able to do this year. And um, certainly if I want to do sort of any interviews or things like that, it makes it much more difficult to organize the students. Uh, are your students actually at UBC or are they in their home countries? So about a third of them are in Canada in that course. And about two thirds of them, most of them are in China. And so it's, it's almost the worst time zone you could have. Mm. Um, what's funny about that is we teach a class that is at, to get the numbers right here, 10 a.m. our time, mm -hmm. which is the middle of the night. And so we offered them a chance to have a second lecture at 5 p.m. Well, interestingly, the 10 a.m. one's the one that's full because that's 1 a.m. for Beijing, I think. And if I was 18, there's a way better chance I'd be up at 1 a.m. than 9 a.m. <laughs> <laughs> so they, they actually tend to like that time. But no, it's certainly difficult. I, I have a class with that group that's scheduled to be at 1 p.m. next semester, and I, I, I'm not really sure what's, what we're going to do. It's right in the middle of their night. So It's interesting that that's one of the things that's um, really international. And uh, yeah, teenagers are, are going to be up in the middle of the night. <laughs> What's funny is they would have been up all night here too, which is really crazy because then they're trying to connect with their family and friends at home. Right. So 
they're kind of going to be in trouble one way or another. Several of the students actually have just shifted to Pacific time while they live in China. Oh. I, I, I can't help but think that's going to shorten their lives, you know? <laughs> it's all these weird side effects of COVID happening. That's dedication to the geosciences. That's <laughs> <laughs> right. Most of them want to go into computer science. I haven't broken their hearts yet to tell them they're going to be geologists. <laughs> <laughs> They'll learn to love it. <laughs> well, uh, Brett, those are all my questions. Excellent. Did you, you have anything else you wanted to say before? No, I, I, I don't think I have anything else to say. I mean, no, it's always fun to do interviews. I was on the radio yesterday. How about that? Oh, what were you talking about? Uh, earthquakes. The uh, great shakeout was yesterday. And so oh. uh, I was offered up as a sacrifice to the media. And, and only, only one of them took up the offer. But that's always interesting. It's nice to be able to share information to a wider audience. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay. Well, thank you for your time. My pleasure. Bye. Thanks for listening to Quarantine Conversations. For more episodes like this one, please visit our website at pme.ubc.ca slash learn slash quarantine conversations.